Chile, one of the world's most exciting countries, is a show you will want to listen to for a vacation you will never forget. Enjoy the show. Fantastic. I'm really excited because we're going to go to one of my favorite places in South America, to Chile. And we have with us Martha. I'll have to spell her last Hi. name. Hi. Oh, I'll spell your last name. T-A-V-E-R-A. Tavera. Martha, welcome. We're really excited to have you. Thank you. Thank you, both of you. So happy to be here with you and uh, telling you all about one of our favorite destinations, Chile. Not to be confused with Chile con carne. It is Chile with C H I L E. <laughs> Just in case. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's yeah. normally confused. That's why I had to mention I know. it. <laughs> well, before we begin, could we talk a little about the geography? Because I'm amazed that. Chile is almost as well as as long as the U.S. is wide, almost that long and wide to the U.S. And it's only the longest, widest points about a little over 200 miles. So it really does look yes. like a Chile, doesn't it? C H I L C H I L I. It's uh, like a spaghetti. Yeah. It is yeah. only 2,600 miles long. And uh, about 110 miles wide. Oh my That's it. Wow. But uh, with such a narrow country, it has all the weathers that you want all put in one. So it's quite uh, incredible. Here you have this country, which uh, compared to Argentina, uh, they claim that every time the Argentinians get angry, they start pushing the Andes more towards the Pacific. That's why they have so many tremors and earthquakes. (laughs) 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 All these are just folklore stories, right? (laughs) (laughs) They're they're forever having a feud there. But yes, it is is very narrow. You can actually drive from one end to the other of the country without any problem. Uh, Not so from the north to the south, but uh, definitely uh, from east to west. Well, shall we start at the top and end with a bang at the bottom? No problem. Here we go. You have Chile, which um, is divided basically in three areas. The northern part, uh, which is the Atacama Desert, San Pedro de Atacama bordering uh, Bolivia and Peru. And this is the driest area uh, in Chile. Actually, it has the driest desert in the world in this area. Yeah, in the world, right? Yes. And then again, what you need to to know of this area especially is that because it's so dry, the sky is very clear. 
So these are, this is one of the areas where you can enjoy the uh, watching the stars, and we have fabulous observatories all over this area just for that. Countries uh, have gotten together from all over Europe and uh, Asia and have um, set an astronomy a telescope called ALMA, which is one of the strongest ones in the world, actually, and they come from all over just to watch the stars and study the universe from here. And if you go there, you can actually have a tour and visit these observatories. With time, we can arrange it for you. Uh, also, of course, this area holds the uh, salt flats, which are so important now, used to be even more important in the turn of the centuries during World War One, where you had the biggest nitrate centers, um, actually mines in this area. And they were mostly owned by British companies, and they would supply this uh, the uh, Peter to um, all of the uh, European allies to make the bullets, which is oh, what they wow. were used for. Really? Yeah, actually, my grandfather was uh, was one of these gentlemen that came from England. He was an engineer, and that's where they were settled. So. It, today, all of these areas are museums because they were abandoned after World War, uh, between World War One and World War Two, when there was no need for it because a German um, company came up with a, a substitute, which was more effective. So all these companies went out of business and closed. But interesting to go and see how. A, uh, a group of ethnic people like the English settled here, did their own communities, put in their own schools, and you can still see part of this when you go to Iquique, which is where they lived, because they worked in in the salt uh, in the mines, but they lived actually in Iquique, and uh, they had everything they needed because they even brought the teachers to teach the children English because they didn't go to the public schools. So they had their own world, even though it was, uh, they were just working there. It wasn't that there was a English uh, colony, by the way, <laughs> but you would have thought it was. Yeah. While we're, while we're and, in, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I don't want well, to interrupt. Well, I, go I don't ahead. want us to leave Ikike without talking about that fantastic giant man on the side of the mountain there. And are you familiar the, with the um, world's tallest, I guess it's drawing, carving of a man figure that's uh, many, many, many times. It's about 400 feet tall, if I remember. <clears throat> and uh, it's four times bigger than those images on the Nazca Plain. And uh, have you okay. had the opportunity to see that? Uh, I am going to have to be embarrassed at this point and say that I am not familiar with it. But certainly in all of this area, we also have a lot of the images that you see in the northern part of uh, Peru in the Nazca Lines. 
And you do see remnants of this from the pre-Inca times. Uh, this is, uh, this of course is uh, very uh, well known in this part of the area. But as far as uh, what you're telling me, now you see you're teaching me something that I don't know. Well, I tell you, when I was down there one time, um, I um, went overland between Peru and uh, Santa Arica, and uh, then Arica, I went yes. down to Iquique, and um, Iquique. Uh-huh, Ikiki, and um, I never say the, some of those words quite correctly. But no, it's I was right. there, Well, my guide said, you want to do something different? I said, sure. So we chartered a plane, and we, it wasn't far. We just flew, seemed like 15, 20 minutes to the east, and we flew over this giant, I mean, about 400 feet tall carving of this man and um, with the sort of the um, Aztec, Inca um, kind of person with the headdress and um, I was stunned and uh, was one of the highlights for me up in that area. So I I don't know if they, I was asking because I this is about, I don't know, 30 years ago. So I was wondering if it has been more tourist Touristified, if that's the word. Mm-hmm. But um, let's continue because that area is magnificent. It is, but it, it's all part of the northern part of Peru, also, where um, I am sure you you are very familiar with all the carvings that are there. Are some on the mountains and some also on the sand, which right. has never disappeared, and they're there. And uh, this seems to be something that is left from the pre-Inca era. They still don't have any idea how or why they are there, but they all seem to point to the same place, which is Machu Picchu. Mm-hmm. So it's it's quite interesting. Uh, and this has to be the same situation. But uh, nevertheless, I I am going to make more of a research now that you're telling me about this, because I was not familiar with that particular um, carving in Iquique on the mountains. But I will find out, and that's where my grandmother was born, actually in Iquique. Really? So it's all her fault that I don't know about it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, it's, well, it's such a big country. It's impossible to know even probably a third of what to do down there, isn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, of course, all that area, don't forget, was Peru at one time until there was a war between uh, Chile and Peru, and that was, that became Chilean. But before, yeah, my my grandmother was born in Iquique when it was actually Peru, and then she became Chilean. But yeah, and that's enough for another time. (laughs) But also in that area, of course, uh, Gabriela Mistral was born there, which was a Nobel Prize winner, a writer. And uh, this is one of the, you know, uh, prides of of the area of of the northern part. Now, uh, today, the uh, part of the Atacama Desert has become very popular. For many years, there was nothing there. I mean, only backpackers would go. Today, we have any amount of high-end properties, and people come 
fascinated with what they see. Besides, of course, the salt flats, you also have geysers. You have any amount of wildlife from different types of um, of the camel the, um, uh, animals, you know, like the uh, llamas and the cunas and alpacas that you see in that area. Um, but it has become now a must when you go to Chile to start with Atacama. We have daily flights and then start coming down all the way to the south. As you come down to the south, now you are in Santiago in a completely different climate. Now, this is a Mediterranean climate, and this is why it's also very famous for its wine. Chilean wine grows here. Uh, I mean, it's it's become a, a very well-known uh, wine in the U.S., and you find it everywhere, Conchitoro and others. They have uh, marketed very well, and we have great tours that are just for wine tasting. And you can start all the way in Santiago, all the way to the to the shores. And um, sometimes from there, we can also, in one hour, go to Mendoza, which is now Argentina, and combine both of it together. Um, Santiago is a city that is kind of in a... It's surrounded by mountains, like in a hole. So during the summer, it tends to be very uh, foggy. And uh, although the temperature is going to be in the low 80s, uh, high 70s, it's still um, the uh, pollution is very high. So people tend to leave Santiago and go to the coast, to Viña del Mar. Viña del Mar is only about two hours from Santiago. It is a very well-known resort. Uh, where all, again, the rich and famous go. Uh, you have a lot of uh, movie stars that have their homes and apartments there. It's very sim- similar style as the Riviera would be. And uh, although the ocean is not, of course, the typical Caribbean crystal waters, it's the uh, Pacific, and it's very cold, and the oh, sand is Ooh. dark. <laughs> yes. yes, I mean, you... You would think uh, you would go out uh, there and waddle around in the water, but you put your toe in there and you say, oop, nope. No, you freeze. It's, it's cold, <laughs> yeah. really. Yeah. Uh-huh. Very, very cold. But, of course, as it gets so hot, it doesn't matter. People are used to that. It's, I guess, the same as it would be in California. Mm-hmm. The weather is very similar to California. So, of course, uh, people compare a lot of the uh, vineyards like uh, Napa Valley type and for the wine tasting, with a little bit of the more Latin kick in it. But they're very, very similar. Uh, of course, uh, Viña del Mar is also known for Valparaíso, which is the main port in Chile, and it's also a national monument by UNESCO. Um, this is where you have to go at least once and see it, because it's a very quaint uh, town, all of the uh, houses are built on the mountainside, and they're all uh, full of different colors. So it makes it for a photo shoot. 
and uh, of course the um, the most important part here is also to visit the home of Pablo Neruda, who's another Nobel Prize winner. And um, you can see all the, uh, he has his own library there. And it's very interesting to to see how he lived, where he wrote, and the scenery, the, the view from there is spectacular, because you see all of Valparaiso from there. It's way up in the mountains. It's not for everybody. It's kind of hard to walk around there because very narrow streets and going up and upstairs and down and in and out. But a lot of fun to go and visit. And, of course, Valparaiso also celebrates during um, the summer months, and either February or, or March, you have the, fest, the Song Festival, which is very similar to the Cannes Festival. You have all the most famous uh, writers and singers. Uh, they all congregate there. It's very popular. So, yes, it is a place to go and visit. It's uh, well-known today. And it's only two hours from Santiago. Uh, Santiago is a, it's a stop of a couple of days, either on your way to Atacama Desert or on your way to Punta Arenas or the Lake Region. Um, Santiago is, of course, an up-and-coming city, very, very, you see the, uh, that it's affluent, you see that the economy is strong when you arrive there. It's definitely not a third world country. Uh, beautiful properties, we have them from boutique style all the way to the uh, W's and Hyatt's and anything that you might need. It is worth at least a couple of nights just to uh, experience good restaurants and see what it's all about. From here, in a couple of hours, you fly to the Lake District. The Lake District is the other connection between Chile and Argentina. It's probably one of the most beautiful scenery-wise areas that I've seen. Uh, it's all lakes, mountains, uh, volcanoes, you could have arrived anywhere in Switzerland. It's right at the other side of Bariloche in Argentina. And they connect each other through the lakes. And you can do that on an overnight going to Bariloche, or you can do it on a one day. And uh, the uh, ferries just go back and forth from, from lake to lake, combination with the um, buses that pick you up and take you to the other lake. Uh, Puerto Montt was actually founded by uh, German immigration. Uh, during the 1800s, uh, Chile opened its um, immigration to, to Germany, especially those that lived in the Black Forest. Reason being that these were people that knew how to handle weather and that type of terrain. So they settled in all of this area, in Puerto Montt, Ternuco, Chile, and um, Isla Grande. And you see the influence of the German architecture. And, of course, the people are very blonde, very fair, completely different, probably, to the people that you might see in the north or in Santiago. Uh, they kind of divided the country. The northern part was very English. The southern part was very German. 
and they lived together happily ever after. <laughs> so, yeah, they they did an incredible job in that area. But then again, they were the only ones that could really uh, live uh, in that climate. And uh, they did uh, a lot of, of good stuff and developed the area. When you go to Puerto Montt, you have to take time to go to Chile. Chile is just south of Puerto Montt. It's, oh, uh, can we in... mention one thing that I yes, of that, course. Um, out of Puerto Montt is um, mm-hmm. that the lake, the glacier cruise, the cruise yes, that goes it's the Scorpius. Can you talk right. a moment about that? I've done it about four times because I never tire of the itinerary and the, the contrast. Of what you yeah. see, and I mean, reminds you of Alaska, right? Actually, uh, Scorpios. We were going to have a familiarization trip this next month, um, going uh, down that area of all the fields, mm-hmm. and it is uh, it is quite beautiful, and it starts in Puerto Montt, and it ends. There's some of them that end in uh, Puerto Natales, mm-hmm. others that just go uh, around the lake and back again. Uh, what did what? Which one of the Scorpius cruises did you take? Well, I've done uh, four of them, and uh, uh-huh. I've done all the way down to Puerto Natales on one of them. But Puerto Natales, right? Yes, but uh, the one that I like most is when, and I'm not going to say this right. We went over to the uh, Chiloé. Um, Chiloé, right. Uh, and uh, met yes. the local people there. I thought that's fabulous. And, uh, but most, uh, that was one of them. And right. two of them, we uh, just went down along the uh, glaciers and the fjord area and uh, mm-hmm. hiked into the, uh, the, I guess, rainforest into the beautiful waterfalls. I mean... It's stunning, stunning uh, example of of having a great time. I like it. Yes, very the much. the beauty of it is that you don't you're not only on board and just seeing ports like you would in any normal cruise. You right. you're getting off the ship and doing hike a little bit of soft hiking, etc. So you're really seeing the country. It's a wonderful way to see that area which most people don't get to see because uh, unfortunately uh, the average uh, the average uh, tourists that are going to chile uh, have maybe four or five days right. that's about it so they are not uh, these type of cruises are going to eat up a whole week of your vacation uh, which is the same thing as taking the, um, you know, the Australis from Punta Arenas to Ushuaia. Right. So not everybody has the time, and it's a pity because this is the real Chile. This is where you see the history of every how it all developed uh, during that time, where you see even the constructions are totally different. Uh, you see all these wooden churches that the Jesuits. Uh, constructed in Chile. We're talking 1800s, right? Mm-hmm. So the history is 
incredible in all of the southern part of Chile. And um, maybe one, maybe I'm not going to see it in my generation, but definitely next generation that are going, that have been to South America already, have seen all the highlights, are going to start really taking advantage of seeing the, the other parts of, the, of these countries that they've never had time to do it, which is what you did. Jerry, uh, and it is, uh, I mean, uh, we are beginning to get now inquiries on it. People are getting more and more interested. And uh, we're always very happy to tell them all about it and and get them excited because they're going to come back with a completely different idea of, of uh, what Chile is all about. I think it was the third or fourth time to Chile that I actually heard about that cruise and you know mm -hmm. I rank it in the top three things to do in Chile I really love it and I'm as you mentioned people just don't take the time or know about it and I think no those that mm -hmm. do both uh, the time and uh, take it um, will never regret it the only not thing... only that but but also that it is uh, it's not high-end but right. the people that are taking these tours are very educated people and sophisticated in that sense. Right. So you feel very comfortable. It's not the type of cruise where people are going to be rowdy and drinking. And No. It yeah. is for people that are going to enjoy and learn about the country. So it's totally for me... Yeah, it is something that I would I would love to see more people involved or taking them. Probably in a way, it's also our fault that we haven't marketed uh, enough. But all of that is changing now because we are now catering to a different type of clientele. We are catering to those people that are more intellectual and are enjoying uh, learning about all of what we have in Latin America, no? Because this is just right. one of the many, many things that right. people don't know about. Right. And uh, we are hoping to attract that kind of, uh, of clientele down there. But I'm happy to hear that you've been in it and you've enjoyed it, so it's a good, uh, it's a good way to promote it. Yeah, the first time that I ever did it, they uh, had um, the first ship. And uh, mm -hmm. it wasn't very big, not that the newer ones are bigger. I mean, they're really huge, but uh, they didn't even speak the English show? on board. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. I love Scorpios. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't think it had even a number. I think it's just called the Scorpios. And, um, yeah, because they only had one. Now they have the Scorpios too, yeah. Uh -huh. Now it's on the Scorpios the first time. And uh, yeah. well, actually the first two times. And... Uh, they didn't speak a word of English, I don't think. And um, I know there are several uh, English-speaking people. <clears throat> and because uh, they were not geared to take tourists, and, uh, you know, American tourists or, or mm -hmm. maybe Chilean, Chilean tourists. <clears throat> but uh, we had no idea when to get back on the boat. So we're, <laughs> we're kind of, we had to fake it after the first day in the short excursion. Say, no, wait a minute, you have to put your fingers up. 
4 p.m., 4, 3, <laughs> this, and, uh, Now, you, no, you have to, depending on where you're going and, and what you're doing, you go the 1, 2, or the 3. Yes, right. I, I know it. Fabulous. But, um, all right. Uh, oh, I want to say one thing about the crossing, the Bariloche. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like that. I, um, I, I find that interesting. Because I have never been anywhere in the world, and you mentioned it, about the bus ferry, bus ferry. But, I mean, it goes on all day, doesn't it? I mean, it's just yes. like one bus and one lake. And um, it's quite no, amazing. You can actually do it all in one day. It's a little right. bit tiresome, but right. some people don't have the time. And uh, it does change. You know, you start with the ferry in Bariloche, let's say. And then once you get to a certain point, you you go by bus, and then you overnight. We normally overnight people in Peuya, and then continue the following day uh, again bus boat bus back to Puerto Montt, all the way down there. Uh, we have a very nice uh, video that shows you exactly how it goes and where it stops and. And when it's a bus and when it's uh, when it's a boat, but it's a fun it's a fun uh, one day if you want to do it all, or it's or an overnight because if you stay overnight in Peuya, then you can go to a small waterfall that is right there and take some of the trails, and it makes it for a very nice overnight. Mm. And uh, and they have a lot of things going on for the people that are staying and all of that. But if you don't have the time, it can easily be done in one day. For sure, but uh, this again is uh, is an area that uh, is just maybe a couple of hours from from Santiago. It's very popular. Uh, is the door to the Patagonia? Is the entrance to the Patagonia? And also, it's where you would take, of course, the Scorpio cruises to Puerto Natales or just to the area of San Rafael Glacier and back. But um, we do have programs that you can get off in Puerto Natales, and then from there, you can go to Torres del Paine. Mm. And once uh, it, that's one way of doing it. The other way is to fly into Punta Arenas, and then from Punta Arenas, uh, you have a five-hour drive to Torres del Paine, or three hours to Puerto Natales. Excuse me. Uh, but um, either way, it's definitely a must. Um, Punta Arenas, I would always suggest for people, if they have the time, to spend at least one night there. The history in the area of Punta Arenas is very, very rich. I mean, it's like uh, the discovery of Latin America. This is where the Portuguese came originally, of course, they were looking for other things, but uh, unpaid by, of course, the Spaniards. And uh, they started all the trade that went from the cattle that they raised in that area to Europe. It all started even before that when they would be killing the seals for the um, skins and for the oil. So the um you know the adventure stories 
that come out of that area are fascinating. For me, they're fascinating. You have to buy a book and and learn about Magellan and this whole part of the history, which uh, it's, you know, it's the adventure of the people not knowing where they were going to arrive or what they were going to find and whether they could could even get back to where they came from. Mm -hmm. But it became a very important port. And people made a lot of money. They made fortunes there. And so you have, uh, when you arrive to Punta Arenas, uh, you have uh, homes like uh, that today are museums from the days of the 1800s where these homes already had heating. Mm-hmm. And you would think, how, wow, wow, did they have, because they had so much money, they actually had the, the capacity to put this. One of the homes is the Brown Melendez home, which is a mansion, and you have to visit that in Punta Arenas to see what they actually had. Things that for today's, of course, uh, you look at it and say, wow, this is in the 1800s. They were already very modern. Now, if you go from there, if you've seen that, and then you go to Puerto Natales, and you stay oh, at a hotel let me, let me interject singular. Martha, can I interject mm-hmm. a couple of things here? Yes, uh, okay. That I really, I mean, you know, if you don't know about these things, you don't know about these things. Um, I've been to Punta Arenas at least six or seven times, and mm-hmm. I learned that either driving for a while and walking for a long time, you can actually get to the very tip of the landmass, not the islands, but the landmass mm-hmm. of South America. And uh, there is this huge cross, like in Rio, of Christ, huge right. cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, at right. the very tip, and uh, I never, I didn't have the time, so I chartered a plane. It wasn't that expensive, and flew down there and flew around it and came back. And beautiful scenery. I mean, it's very unique and uh, very rarely visited. And another thing that I found interesting about Punta Arenas, <laughs> just right out, just right outside mm-hmm. of it, uh, you can see the very bottom and beginning of the Pan American Highway which I thought was interesting. And there's a sign that says how far it is to Alaska. And uh, I, I, it's out in the middle of a, sort of a um, rainforest, and so sort of, uh, bridges, little walking bridges. <coughs> wouldn't work. And I thought mm-hmm. that was really neat. So I agree that everyone should stay sometime, uh, at yeah. least one yeah. night there, because it is I want you to know that the reason I stayed there one night was only because we couldn't get a flight out at the time <laughs> that we wanted. So, of course, my husband is saying, why are we going to spend the night in Punta Arenas? No, there's uh, nothing here, blah, 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 blah. I blah. know it. Okay. I know. I mean, we stayed. So we asked the guide. I said, you know, take us somewhere. Show us a little bit of Punta Arenas so that we can get an idea. Well, all I can tell you is that when we started, we were like, our jaws were dropping because right. we couldn't believe it. We couldn't believe what we were seeing. Uh, it was it was fascinating, um, you know, to, to see the history. 
it's the history that makes you crazy because you say, wow, you know, this mm-hmm. is this is really the beginning. The beginning, the explorers is like uh, taking a trip with them. We bought so many books, you know, to be able it. to learn more. Yeah. Yeah, because you want to, you want to learn more and and see what what's going on and what the, the the history of these people, and then you see everything. When when after that we left for the uh, hotel in uh, in Puerto Natales, mm-hmm. and here we are, uh, you know, at uh, the Singular, which is the hotel that had just opened maybe three months prior. And this was exactly where the frigoríficos were, the places where they kept the meat cold, the cold storage plants, mm-hmm. also owned by the Boris family, uh, the Brown family, and in Punta uh, Arenas. And of course, when when the canal of Panama was open, this was no longer the route for everybody to come through. So all these plants started going out of business and they were abandoned until an architect came around and said, you know what, let's revive the history of Punta Arenas. And he built the hotel, singular, is the uh, cold storage plant, which Mm. he redid and using exactly the structure. Each uh, room where you had the cold storage is a bedroom with its humongous windows that you have the most beautiful scenery but the great part of it is that all the furniture are from uh, copies of the 1800 with today's facilities so you think you've gone back a hundred years it makes you feel like you're living the time no Mm-hmm. It's an excellent place to be at. It's not in the National Park of Torre del Paine, but definitely worthwhile to take mm-hmm. the extra time to get there just to stay at that hotel because it's all, you're surrounded by history. Once once you get to Punta Arenas and everything kind of gets together, and say, oh boy, this is where it started, this is where it ended, this is what it happened. You're not only seeing the area, but you're living the experience of the times, of the settlers there. And then, of course, what can I tell you? Punta uh, Torres del Paine is something that we need to do at least once in your lifetime. Amen. I know Jerry did it many times, probably. Yes. But <laughs> and let me tell I you, need to go I back. I have never been tired. <laughs> I have never tired. I've been there at least five times. And you I see what I'm telling you? I don't know. He's competing <laughs> with me here. <laughs> well, no, I'm not. Uh, but no, I'll tell no, you. Uh, um, uh-huh. you You're helping me out, though. One uh-huh. time I did it by hiking. Uh, where you oh, you camp. did the W trek. Yes. And uh, it ah. was, I mean, it was like doing the Milford trek in southern New Zealand, where you get rained yeah. on and colder than sin. It is absolutely fabulous. And then one time, I stayed at an eco hotel. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. And um, I the mean, eco camp. Yes, and yeah. um, that was fabulous too. A totally different experience. And then the last couple of times, I stayed at the the Explorer Lodge. And mm-hmm. um, of course. And those the, the view from your hotel window. 
Uh, is Isn't that incredible? It's one of I mean, you're you're in your bed with this humongous window in front of you, and here you have the horns looking at you. you know? Right. It is. And uh, it's, uh, it's one of the most beautiful mountain sites in the world that you can it sit is. in your hotel room and look at it. It's absolutely. I don't know if anybody can explain it uh, because no, you, you have to see it. Uh, our best uh, experience was last year we took a group of top uh, travel agents in New York who are very demanding and they catered to very demanding public also. And we only took 10 of them. And mm. we, we took them to the Atacama Desert and to the Patagonia. They stayed at the Explorer. These people came back fascinated. Most of them have traveled all over because they get invited by everybody because, of course, they are the top producers, so everybody wants to have them on their fam trip. Mm -hmm. And they came back. I mean, we have email after email after email saying this has been the most incredible trip we have ever taken. And I was like at oars to, to hear the, you know, uh, the experiences that each one had because it's so beautiful and you really have to really really mess it up so that people don't come back happy because you, you cannot be unhappy when you see this uh, the scenery is well, let me overwhelming. tell you uh, a couple of times um, well because it's so beautiful it rains once in a while even in the yeah. summer and uh, even if it's raining and it can be quite cold uh, in the summer even and um, you sit in the uh, restaurant or the lounge and, or you sit in your room and look out there and you say, oh, my word, because they change uh, because of the little fog and the mist and, it's, mm -hmm. and the number of trails uh, that are convenient to that hotel, um, walking up and down the mountains and hills and go horseback riding. And I mean, it's, you could easily spend five days there. And never be bored. Oh and, yes. Oh yes. Got, Definitely. And mm -hmm. we took one trail, where I think it's called the French Trail, Frenchman Trail. Uh, but it, you get on the boat right there at the hotel. You head across the other side uh, to the north end of the river, and um, start hiking. And I think, and I'm going to lie here, but it's something like 20 miles to go up there and back in one day. I mean, it's really arduous, and um, it started raining at the top part, and we almost didn't make it because it's slippery. But, you know, that area is one of the, the most beautiful. If you like Alaska, if you like Switzerland, for example, Austria, the northern Austria, I mean, you will be in heaven down here. It's, as you say, it's indescribably beautiful. And, uh, you know, I live, we live out here in the West, and um, up the um, Teton Mountains and uh, Wyoming, uh, mm -hmm. like a three and a half, four hour drive at the most from where we live. And um, I think they are the most beautiful mountains in the 50, 48 states. And um, and if you can imagine the Teton Mountains, 5,000, 10,000 feet higher, not 10,000, but at least 5,000 feet higher, and stretching a longer way, you're getting close to what it looks like. <clears throat> Yeah. So, it's 
So it's, uh, I have not been, I have not been to Wyoming. I have been to Torres Espana, but I haven't been to Wyoming. I've, I know about it, but that's about it. Uh, I don't know if uh, Wyoming has the glaciers and the lakes no. and the mountains that Torres Espana. Yeah, it has the mountains and some lakes, but it doesn't have. Right. Like, this place has everything. The glaciers. Yeah. Yeah. This this area has everything, so you can go from glaciers to mountains to lakes to. Whatever, and then again, I don't know that many people might go trekking in the winter, but you can go to Torres Epane in the winter and see right. something completely different than what you see during the summer, and probably a much larger variety of animals because yes. they come out more in the winter than they right. do in the summer. Right. One time so I went uh, in the winter, uh, and yeah. um, I will never do it again. Okay. Never do it again. <laughs> I, I came back with pneumonia, but okay. I wouldn't have traded for a trillion dollars. And it's a totally different experience. Totally. Yeah, and the, now they're opening it a lot during the winter. There are a lot of lodges that are closed in the winter because obviously they don't have that much business. But uh, a lot of them are keeping their lodges open because they find that there is a small uh, business coming in. And the more people come in the winter, the more realize that this is the time to go when there's not that many tourists to start right. with. And you might see more than what you are able to see in the summer. Right. Because the summer is very short. It only starts uh, November and by April it's done. So the window of opportunity is very short to go to Torre del Paine. And people don't realize this, really, and they start booking very late. And most people are booking six, seven, and one year in advance right. to be able to get the lodges they want and and the best spaces that they can. So it's um, it's a good idea to think about this type of trips with a long time in advance. And again, when you do Torre del Baine, you do you have the opportunity of from there crossing over to Calafate, which is only a five hour land transfer. Uh, and uh, then you can do Perito Moreno and all that area of the Patagonia on the Argentinian side. <clears throat> so this is another a door into Argentina besides the lake region, no? Mm -hmm. And, of course, Mendoza, which is another natural one. But uh, then, uh, once you've done uh, Torre del Paine and uh, you've done that area, which for sure you're going to want to go back, uh, Punta Arenas is also the gateway to all of the Antarctic cruises that we have. Uh, most of the cruises themselves live out of Ushuaia, which is in Argentina. But out of Punta Arenas, we have one particular cruise that does not operate out of Argentina, and this is the Fly Cruise Program, where you can fly to St. George Island. That way you do not uh, have to hassle with the uh, crossing, which is... Uh, Horrible, the uh, the <laughs> weather and, and the whole thing. People oh. come back saying, "I love the experience, but the Drake crossing killed me." No. Yeah. I know. And 
Yes. So this is one way to avoid the Drake crossing. You fly over to St. George. There you board the cruise for maybe a four night, three nights, depending on the length of time you want to do it that. And then you fly back. Some of them have the option of coming back, cruising back one way only. Others you can fly back and forth. And we also have the the flights that go and come back the same day or just overnight in St. George and then come back. But the overnight, remember, are in uh, domes. It's no, there are no hotels there. So it's not for everybody. It is for the more adventurous people, the people that have done everything and they have nothing left to do. So now they want to go to the white continent, as we call it, and say, okay, now I've seen the world. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, as I said, the accommodations are very rustic. They are good, but no luxuries. So uh, you have to know this in advance. And again, the only time that you can do this is somewhere between December and maybe the first week of March. After that, they do not have these programs anymore. And it is all, even during the season, it is all subject to weather conditions. So every time you make a reservation or you make arrangements to take this particular tour, you have to keep in mind that you need to uh, allot extra time prior and after because you they might have to change the dates by 24 hours. They will take care of the cancellations or uh, policies of the hotels in Punta Arenas, but only for one or two days at the beginning and the same at the end. After that, you're on your own. And the airline tickets, you're on your own. So it is a risk. But if you have insurance, then at least you're covered. But you always have to keep that in mind, that there are no guarantees it will go out. So this is the last port in Chile. After that, it is all, you know, uh, adventuring into areas that most people don't, don't do because they're not aware of it. Fly fishing in Chile is very, very big and and excellent. And that's all in the Lake uh, District of um, of Chile. And then, of, and we have even programs that they will take you by helicopter and drop you in certain areas where you cannot get any other way. So it's not like it's polluted, let's put it that way. You might be the only one doing it. Expensive, but, you know, there's uh, a pocket for everything. And then, last but not least... Oh, no, let's not leave yet. Let's not leave. No, I'm not leaving you. Oh, no, no, (laughs) I'm not yet. Because um, uh, one of my favorite things in the world, um, I like to whitewater, and um, I love whitewater kayaking, mountain biking. Mm-hmm. And they have, like the Bio Bio River, they have some of the most challenging, terrifying, wonderful whitewater rafting and kayaking yes. in the world. Right. In the world. That is correct. Mm-hmm. And if you're into but, that, yes. not many people will do it. But if you're into that, you've got to go. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, uh, don't forget also that uh, the Bio Bio, there was a big dam that was built, which actually, 
kind of meant a little bit that for the for the kayakers anyway. Uh, yeah. But uh, yes, it is. Uh, it, it was and it is still a very big destination for water rafting and kayaking. Right. And right. another thing, of course, is skiing. Yes. Don't forget that. All right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I used to ski year-round, yeah. winter north of the equator and winters, yeah. our summer south of the equator. And uh, tell us about the skiing because it is very good. Yes, the skiing in, uh, in Chile, uh, one of the big advantages, again, is that Santiago is not that far away from the ski lodges. Of, um, when, when you go skiing normally in the area of Argentina anyway, uh, you have to figure that you're going to, to stay in that area, whether it's Bariloche or Leñas, for the whole amount of time because you have to fly there and there's no other way. But in the case of Chile, it is uh, close enough that you have places like Portillo uh, that you can actually go for two or three days and come back to Santiago, and it's a drive. It's not a flight, so it makes it more affordable. You have it Colorado, you have uh, Portillo, and then, um, I mean, we have uh, quite, quite a few. Valle Nevado, which today is probably the most popular one, in Chile, and the largest and also the most challenging um, area to go skiing. And during the season, they might have restrictions that you could have to be there a minimum amount of time. But uh, in the case of Portillo, you can go for two or three nights without a problem. And then also you have the advantage of renting apartments in the area, which we can also take care of. It doesn't have to stay at the hotel. So it's good for everybody. It makes it easier than what it is in Argentina, where you have to fly to Bariloche. So now, you know, if, if this, the conditions are bad or you didn't like it, you lost your flight because you have to stick it out until the end of, of, this, uh, of your stay. The same thing with Leñas, because Leñas, you have to fly to the area of Mendoza, although they have charters that go from Buenos Aires to Leñas, Saturday to Saturday. Again, you are a captive audience. You have to stay there for the whole time. In the case of Chile, no. You can go for the amount of time that you want, and that's fine. And the ski is uh, from beginners to professionals. Uh, it's not a problem. You have snowboarding. You have all kinds of skiing. I mean... They're they're just the same as in the U.S. or in many cases uh, better because this is where they have a lot of the international, um, you know, ski things going on also in uh, Valle Nevado, mm. which is owned by a European company. So they're very challenging. It's worthwhile, well, definitely worthwhile going during the winter. And then you can, you know, you can put it together with Atacama Desert, which is going to be the same weather all year round. So you can get away from the cold if you want to do some, two things different, go skiing and then go to the Atacama Desert. That's perfect. Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, 
or most of Chile is going to be in winter anyway. And no. this, of course, is going to be uh, June, July, August, and September, which is their spring ski. Right. Now, let me mention one little thing that nobody knows about, that um, out of Santiago, um, a two-day trip going west, and I think uh, it's about 600 miles west out there, uh, is yep. the Robinson Crusoe Island. Mm-hmm. No, the Robinson Crusoe Island. Oh, the Robinson Crusoe Islands, yes. This is, right. this is uh, something that most people don't even uh, know about, and it's mm-hmm. not that developed, no? Right. Uh, we actually, we will finish... Um, we don't really have m- much call for Robinson Crusoe, but I think that it's uh, mostly because people don't know about it. Right. And uh, and so the uh, the accommodations there, whatever they have, is uh, more rustic probably than uh, than you would find in Easter Island. So to go to Robinson Crusoe is mostly that you go in there for the history of it and uh, the fascination of, of uh, again, something similar to Punta Arenas and all the rest. No? Well, well, the um, reason I heard about it is because mm-hmm. my, I think my great-great-grandfather, is either great-great or, yeah, I think his great-great-grandfather took a boat one time, well, as he immigrated from Boston to San Francisco. And they went around uh, South America, and they stayed two days on this island I'd never heard of. And I was reading his diary. I said, I've got to go there. And, you know, it's an interesting place. Let's take, if you can, about two minutes. Because you land at the southern part of the island on a little flat dirt thing. And this is one place you have to carry your luggage and you have to walk probably a mile going down a hill down to the port, and you get on a boat for approximately, I think it's 45 minutes, and they take you along this coast, and it's beautiful. And and you go up there, and you go around the island to to the town, and then Mm -hmm. they take you out to see where they claim, there's three or four places in the world they claim this, where Robinson Crusoe lived. And uh, it probably was there. Truly, it probably was there because of the history of Robinson Crusoe. But uh, you can also go swimming with the sea lions, and mm-hmm. there's hundreds of them, and it's terrifying, fabulous. I love that. I've been there twice, and uh, fabulous. But it's clear the water is I don't know 150 feet visibility, and these sea lions. You're out there floating around it with your snorkel. And these sea lions way down there, and they come charging you with their mouth open, these huge teeth. They come right up, it seems like six inches from you, and you want to scream bloody murder if they're going to eat you. And then they turn immediately and laugh. They laugh. You know they're laughing. But it's a, it's really an interesting <laughs> island, but for no more than one night. Um, right. It is interesting. And if they have more well, time, uh, they really might. Yeah. You, you I, I might I might do that before before or after I do the Antarctic. I have to see the Antarctic first. Right. So. 
Oh, you've you know? never been? <laughs> <laughs> I have never been to the oh. Antarctic, but I sell it I, like if I had because <laughs> I do so much of it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, let me tell you. But it is, in my, it is in my bucket list. <laughs> well, I've been there five times. And, um, okay. I, it's, you're right about that, Drake. Oh, let me tell you, I will never again, ever, 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 and I can say that unequivocally, will I ever cross the Drake, ever. Twice. You will fly it. <laughs> Only fly it. I guess if you've never yeah. been, you should try it once. Twice, I, I won't, won't go into how horrible the weather was. I mean, 120 yeah, mile an hour wind. This is the only thing, yeah. Oh, unbelievable. But anyway, it's a good experience if you don't get seasick for the 36 hours. <clears throat> but, yeah. Okay, let's go to... But anyway, let's not forget now that we all have Easter Island. Yeah, Easter that's Island is Yes, Easter Island is, of course, uh, Chilean, even though it's so far away from the mainland. It does belong to Chile, and it's a must, at least for two nights, if not three or four. It's definitely somewhere that you want to go and get that incredible experience of what went on here and how did it happen and how where did they come from and why to start with. Uh, but it's something for you to go find out and come back and exchange uh, ideas with uh, your fellow Americans because it is something quite incredible. Here it's an island that you know, it started, it was, the original inhabitants were 300 to 400 A.D. The Polynesians were there, the Spaniards, the English, everybody was there. But somehow it ended up with the Chileans. And uh, obviously most of the inhabitants are Polynesians. And they have, they, although they do speak Spanish, they have kept their own um you know, history and thing, you know, their own uh, habits. And you do feel like you are in the South Pacific. And here you are in Chile. Right. Uh, we do have, of course, tours that go there uh, for maybe three nights, which is the average. We have any amount of high-end properties. Uh, that are all inclusive, and one of the great things of the island is to rent a bike and just bike all around the island and mm-hmm. see things on your own. You can do it on your own, or you can do it with a guide, which whatever makes you more comfortable. Uh, it's a good four-and-a-half-hour flight from Santiago, and we have flights that connect directly in Santiago, to Easter Island, so it's not a difficult um, flight, but very long, especially if you're coming from the States and then adding Easter Island um, right then uh, on a connection, it's a long, long flight, but you would like, I would suggest to do it is somewhere, either stay a couple of nights in Santiago and then go to Easter Island, or uh, at the end of your trip, add the Easter Island to your itinerary. But it's going to be a wonderful way to end the trip to Chile. Mm-hmm. With that, you have a combination of the driest desert, 
the most beautiful lakes areas uh, in Puerto Montt. The Patagonia, which, <laughs> I mean, you have to be there to understand what I'm talking about. Right. Uh, but it's spectacular. No photograph can tell you how incredible it is. For those that have the time and the, the money, they can extend to the Antarctic. But do not leave Easter Island out, either at the beginning or the end. I right. think you will be very happy with that. I need to, but, we need to mention one thing mm -hmm. about Easter Island, or a couple of little things. Um, it, it's, even though it's in the Pacific, and we all think you know, tropical beaches are wonderful, don't go there for the beach. Don't you agree? Mm -hmm. now, yes, don't make definitely. it a beach destination because they have a couple of little bitty beaches, and yes. um, and it's definitely not a beach destination. I I've taken my swimsuit and I've swum off the water, but don't ever go there thinking you're going to lie on the beach and get a suntan and have beautiful <laughs> palm no. trees because Easter Island. You want, can you spend just one minute describing the terrain of Easter Island? Because I, I was I was stunned when I landed because I had just flown in the first time from Tahiti, Papiete, <clears throat> uh -huh. where it's green and all that. And here we land on this runway, sort of in the west end of the island. And um, the nice thing about Land Chile is the times I've flown there three times, they circle the island. And then at one time, he actually circled the island, turned around, and circled the other way. So people on both sides of the plane could see it. Can see. And then they land. Yeah. And, uh, mm -hmm. but I mean, could it be more barren? I mean, I mean it's, I don't think there are 10 trees there except downtown. Do you? Yeah, no. They, uh, and and this, is, this is a fact. That's why this island only basically lives of tourism, because they don't right. have anything else. They don't have the agriculture. They don't have anything available to them except this. And this, for me, is one of the big reasons also, that it's a part of Chile, because if they were to decide we don't want to be part of this country, right. they wouldn't survive. They would not survive. Yeah, they survive only because of the fact that they have the infrastructure of hotels now and they have the history and uh, basically it's uh, mostly the unknown, no? Right. And uh, so it makes it very different. It's it's the unknown and you have to see it at least once and say okay, yes. I saw it. I don't cannot explain it. It's beautiful, but that's about the extent of it, they do not have any anything else that they can say. Okay, we can. We're so sufficient. No, right. That that's not going to happen there. Um, but definitely is uh, it's on our one of our top list of to see when you go to Chile. Yeah. And uh, people, as long as they don't go with the expectation that they're going to Punta Cana, <laughs> it's, uh, it is a totally different uh, thing and something that they're going to go and learn and experience. But not, as you well mentioned, Jerry, it's not for the sand sun. No, you're not going there for to get a tan. So you right. you go in there to see to see all these incredible stone monuments that nobody knows how 
how they ever got there and how they made them, but uh, because they're humongous. And some of them is like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this that is just the part them. that you see. They still go down be- underneath the earth also. So, it, yeah. But, uh, yeah, this is, uh, this, this is the great uh, country of Chile. I hope that uh, we have the opportunity to welcome a lot of people down there. I know they're not going to be disappointed. It's a little bit of every, of, it's a little bit of, of anything for everybody, yeah, starting yeah. from the best seafood in the world. Oh, tell the me greatest about it. wine. Let's wow. not forget the food. <laughs> yeah, the food. Right. right. Oh my word. Yeah. There's a seafood restaurant, sort of a, a little bit south of Inga Del Mar, across the highway from the ocean. That oh my word, talk about their seafood. Love yeah, it. the seafood in all of Chile it's unbelievable. Right, and then right. of course we, as the Peruvians, have let them borrow the pisco. So they do claim that the pisco sour is theirs, but that's still um, <laughs> there might be a third world war there <laughs> if they insist on it. <laughs> but we'll let them borrow it as long as they market right. it enough. They're good marketeers, so if they market it enough, the Peruvians will be able to sell it. <laughs> I don't, well, Martha, is there anything else that we should add before we end our program on Chile? I think that's about it. We yeah, have yeah. lunch here that has daily flights to Santiago, American Airlines, Delta, United. Uh, but uh, definitely uh, you have enough airlift to go to Santiago. And the most important thing, you do not need a visa. All you need is a valid passport. That's great. And that's it, which makes it very easy and and, you know, People enjoy that because you don't have the hassle of having to. Um, uh, you don't have the hassle of having to get a visa or spending the money for that, for that right. matter. No. Right. Okay, guys. Then, can you tell everybody how they can contact you all? Absolutely. We are at. Um, we are in North Carolina. And our toll-free number is 866-993-0033. We are here from 9 to 6. And you can also email us. Uh, my email is Martha, with a T-H, at Marnella, with double L, MarnellaTours.com. And please visit our webpage, MarnellaTours.com. You'll see a lot of information there that might be of help also. Yeah. Okay? All right. Well, and well, I look forward to you. hearing from all of you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, we thank you again thank very, you, very much, Martha. It's yeah. been a great pleasure. Okay. Yeah. And thank yeah. you. Thank you, guys. And uh, we look forward to the next time. Yeah. All right. Whichever that one might be. <laughs> okay? Yes. All right. Okay. All righty. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our show from all around the world. We really appreciate that. And we'd like to uh, give a shout-out. Thank you to Stephen Pratt for helping compose the music, the wonderful intro and the ending of the show. And I'd also like to uh, say thank you to James Steed uh, for helping with the website and audio information. 
and also Nate Scholes um, about uh, getting us on the right track and helping us on the podcast on Travel Advice Show. Um, so thank you so much, and uh, enjoy all your travels around the world. <laughs>